Good morning. I don't know about you, uh, but as I heard those words, they struck me funny because we had just been celebrating. We had this wonderful Palm service uh, service happening, Palm Sunday service. Uh, We had kids bouncing around. We had uh, uh, some dancing happening. Uh, It was a very festive day yesterday, and it has continued into this day. And then uh, Scott, uh, who I think is actually the right person to read those words, in my psyche anyway, uh, he, uh, he, he told us of uh, Christ's uh, trial, right? And for me, this, uh, this encapsulates quite well the paradox or the conundrum or the, um, the, uh, the riddle that is Holy Week, it starts with celebration on a day like today, Palm Sunday, right? We, uh, we've got the parade, we've got the, the candy going, we've got an Easter egg hunt yesterday, we've got uh, people smiling and laughing, right? And we all know too well, uh, it doesn't take but five days to get to Friday, and something very, very different is happening on Friday. And uh, it's this that I want to talk about. Um, Before we do, however, I want to simply say an enormous thanks to all of you. Uh, This church showed up yesterday in a way that was awesome. Uh, Everybody I'm looking at, just about anyway, was present in some fashion yesterday. And uh, we're so grateful that you were I had a wonderful time yesterday, and I realized that there is no way it would have ever happened without the work uh, of the many, actually. And, uh, and I must admit, as like 11 o'clock was approaching, and I'm looking outside, and the rain's still coming down, uh, I had the, the, the thought that, oh man, uh, maybe this isn't going to go so well. Um, But then I also had the thought that God is good in the rain and in the sun, and God showed up, and you all showed up, and so I just simply wanted to say thank you. But there is one person who I think needs just an extra special thanks, and that's Paige Turner, uh, who uh, really organized just so much. She sent thousands of emails. It was like her full-time job for about, you know, a month and a half. So if we could thank Paige, that'd be... I know there, there are so many others, uh, and I'm looking at you. I don't want to start saying too many names, otherwise I'll forget people. And, but um, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it was truly a blessing to me, and I know it was to many of you as well. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning on Palm Sunday, the beginning of a holy week, a week in which you uh, process into uh, the city of Jerusalem to cheers and to adoration and to joy and jubilee. And, um, and then on Friday, you are crucified. And then on Sunday, there is an empty tomb and you are raised from the dead and sins are defeated and death is defeated. And God, we are given a king unlike any other. Lord, this morning, as we are here listening to your word, I pray that you prick our hearts this morning, pierce through 
all of those layers that have built up over time. Give us new eyes to see who you are, the kind of God you are, the love that you hold for each and every one of us, and reveal yourselves to us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Um, if you've got your Bible, I'd ask that you open it. Uh, we're not going to actually start with John chapter 19, which is the passage we read for this morning. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, I want to start with a more traditional Palm Sunday passage, and that's John 12. So in John 12, what is happening is, uh, is what we've probably heard many, many times in your life. Uh, interestingly, John... Uh, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all four of the Gospels, tell this story in a very similar fashion. I'm just going to read the few verses that pertain here. It's, it's John chapter 12, and starting in verses 12, I want to spend just a little bit of time uh, here before we pivot. Um, by way of uh, sermon outline, uh, I've got three points to make. Uh, one is Jesus is the king. And the second is that Jesus is the king. And then the third is that Jesus is the king. Okay, so those are my three points. And we'll process through them. And we'll see how these confusing points really add up, uh, actually. You'll be surprised. Um, so the passage goes like this. Uh, the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there. And they came not only on account of him uh, Oh, sorry, in verse 9. Uh, skipping down to 12. I was going to say that didn't sound quite right. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So, um, point number one. Uh, Jesus is king, right? When Jesus enters into Jerusalem on that day, he's met with a throng of people shouting out, Hosanna, right? And they, they specifically say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, Bible scholars out there, you know this is a quote from Scripture, Right? This is from Psalm 118. And the person who's coming in the name of the Lord is a messianic figure that's expected. And so when uh, early uh, first century Jews are, are saying these words or hearing these words, what are they hearing? They are hearing anticipation. They have awaited a Messiah for a long time. John, however, helps us to know exactly what they are waiting for. You see, I, I think that some of us think Messiah, and we immediately jump to, like, Jesus, or we jump to a Savior, or we jump to maybe some other uh, adjectives that describe this Messiah. The first century Jew is going to reach for one thing immediately, and that is kingship, right? Right? 
They need a king. That's what a Messiah is. It's an anointed one, usually, who becomes a king. And so John gives us a little description. He says uh, that the people are shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And don't get stuck if you've got your ESV on the word even. It's simply the king of Israel, right? That's who this Messiah is. And so point number one is that these people are clearly very excited to have who they believe is the king of Israel coming into town. And they are read, they have a king, by the way, uh, who, uh, this is part of the problem, actually, uh, but, but they're saying, we want this man as our king. So they come with all of their expectations of what a king is, what a king should do. And I'm certain that they're expecting this king to be doing things uh, like riding in on the white stallion and like defeating all of their foes and, uh, and leaving uh, carnage uh, in his wake of all those people uh, who have grieved them over time, right? Uh, this is not uh, Jesus' method. This is not Jesus' mode. Jesus is not planning on doing any of this, is he? And so this one who comes in the name of the Lord comes in a very different sort of way. This is not the first time uh, Jesus is thought to be the king, by the way, in uh, the book of John. Um, Earlier uh, in chapter 6, there's the feeding of the 5,000, which you're probably familiar with. And he gets to the end of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, and it says, uh, it says in John chapter 6, uh, Perceiving then that they were about to come and, and take him by force to make him king, what does Jesus do? He sneaks away and goes into a silent place, right? Into a, a place where no one can find him, and he hides uh, this is also not the only time uh, in the Gospels, uh, just kind of generally, that Jesus is understood to be a king or, or again, a Messiah figure. Uh, this happens a few times, but perhaps the most uh, kind of important one is uh, in the, usually it's in the middle of the Synoptic Gospels, Mark 8, for example. Uh, Jesus asks his disciples, who am I? And Peter gets it right, and Peter says, you're the Messiah, right? You're the one we're waiting on. And Jesus immediately says, congratulations. Uh, certainly, uh, the world couldn't have taught you this. God must have taught you this. And then he says something interesting. He says, don't tell anybody, right? He just says, don't tell anybody. Palm Sunday is the day where Jesus as Messiah and Jesus as King is, uh, is allowed to be talked about. And it comes to the forefront, and it comes uh, uh, out uh, completely and publicly, and everybody's saying the same thing. And this is the point. They're all meaning something a little different than what Jesus himself means. Which gets us to point number two. Jesus is king. Point number two, I think we find in chapter, uh, again, John 12 here in the 14th verse. You see, Jesus is willing at this point to recognize and to make public his own kingship. And so as the people are shouting, hey, it's the king of Israel, he doesn't run away this time. He doesn't go off into the distance. He doesn't tell them, no, be quiet. 
this time he takes up the mantle that he's supposed to take up. And so here it says that Jesus found a donkey, a young donkey, and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus have to appeal to Zechariah here. He could have found some other passages that had a warrior king or the king who uh, was coming in to, uh, again, just uh, slaughter the enemy, right? That is not uh, the sort of king that Jesus was becoming, and it's not the kind of God we actually serve. Jesus is teaching us, I think, in this moment quite a lot about who he is, about the nature of the triune God, and about the sorts of leaders that you and I are supposed to be, and the sort of power that you and I are supposed to wield. And so he comes not on the white stallion, but he comes on the donkey, right? And so we have point one, Jesus is king, and when they say that, they mean one thing. And then when Jesus comes and he says, Jesus is king, we see a very different sort of ethic at work, a very sort of different picture of what a king should be. And I would argue that these things are so different that it took Jesus a lifetime to get to the point where he's ready to say it publicly. And why? Why did he take so long? He knew once it happened, he might have five days left. And that's all he had, right? And so with his disciples, he had been discipling them for years. They of all people should know who he is, what he came to do. And yet what do we find in chapter or verse 16? (laughs) We find his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered, right? Even his disciples didn't quite get it. They didn't quite get it. This is remarkable uh, because, thanks be to God, they did record Jesus' words and how he taught them along the way. And then it appears uh, like in retrospect, they realized, oh, that's what he was saying. Oh, that's what he meant. I needed my heart so realigned and so radically changed that I couldn't even see it in the moment. But boy, now that he's been glorified and I realize just the very nature of God himself, uh, what sort of God we're dealing with, what sort of king I serve, I I realize now that I I couldn't hear those words then, but, but I do now. Jesus, at a few points, um, talks about the nature of leadership and and the nature of power. And um, very specifically, uh, this this gets, he does it in, uh, specifically in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and and Luke. But he does it in two places. Now, did it happen in both places, or, or uh, did Luke recount one way and Matthew and Mark the, the other way? I, I'm not sure, but this is, this is what we find. In Matthew and in Mark, right before Jesus walks in to Jerusalem, we get this. 
excuse me. In Mark 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he's telling them the sort of uh, king and leader and Lord that he is going to be. And he gathers them together, Mark 10, verse 42. He said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers, kings, over the Gentiles, they, they lord it over them. And the great ones, they exercise their authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Exact same words, or more or less, in, in the book of Matthew. And again, all of which is, he's, he's trying to prep his disciples for what's about to happen, for this entrance of the king, right? He is entering into Jerusalem as a king, and indeed, he's met as such with the palms and the hosannas and the uh, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, all of it. And he wants to prep them, and he wants to say, but you got to know what sort of king I am and what sorts of leaders I expect you to be. He said, we're not the kinds of leaders, folks, who lord it over other people, We are the kinds of leaders who serve, who make ourselves slaves of all. And he says of his own self, even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's like, in my mind, near the heart and soul of the gospel, and it reveals a whole lot about the heart of God himself. A God who has all power, all authority, all ability, who comes as a slave and a servant for the world, pouring himself out for us, serving us, that our sins might be forgiven and that our ransom might be paid. I fear we, we miss that. I actually, I don't fear we miss that in here, in this sanctuary. I fear we miss that in the business world. We certainly miss it in our politics. We have these spheres in life where we say, yeah, we don't want that kind of uh, living or, or that kind of theology to, to, to seep its way into other parts of our life. Sure, if we draw the circle around, you know, what's allowable in Sunday school or on a Sunday morning, that makes sense. But, but it, it just, it doesn't work in the business world, right? Or it doesn't work in politics. We, we, need, we need harder, uh, firmer, uh, stronger people, right? I don't see Jesus arguing uh, for this at all. I said, though, there's a second place where this same exact idea, at least, is, is put. And, and this time, it's, it's not right before into Jerusalem. 
This time is actually right after the Lord's Supper. It's in the Gospel of Luke. You're welcome to look at it. Um, it's verses 24 and following, but I'll, I'll read this one to you. And he says much the same thing. He does personalize it a little more in this one. And he says, A dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Not so with you. He's not just talking to the twelve. He's talking to us. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table who is greater? And then he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. And he's taking the world order of who is greatest and who is most important and how we should lead and how we should use our power and he turns it upside down and he says, if you've got power in this life, you better be serving people. If you've got a place of authority, you better find your way to serve one another. Because you've got an important task to do. And if you don't do this, he might even say, you're just like the lords of the Gentiles who lord it over others. This gets me to my third point. Jesus is king. Which gets us to our passage for the day. John 19. This is not a very traditional passage, I admit, uh, to read on a Palm Sunday. But my argument goes like this. In the Gospel of John, most clearly, I think you can kind of see it in the others too, I think that John is painting Jesus in this moment at his coronation. If you've asked yourself, does Jesus ever receive a coronation, right? Is he ever crowned king? I think in this moment in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus being crowned as king. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you. I'm just going to read little snippets. And so we read that the soldiers, they, they twisted together a crown and they put it on his head. And they arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him and, and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown and, and the purple robe and, robe, and Pilate said to the crowd, Behold the man. And it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. 
So he delivered him over to be crucified. I found a quote this week that I rather liked. Uh, The quote uh, is, um, it says this. It says, one of the scariest questions on Palm Sunday is how will I respond when Jesus comes riding humbly into my life? Will I recognize the time of God's coming to me? Will I recognize and welcome God's personal visit? I hope that God comes and meets you this week. I hope God is meeting you right now. I hope you have your hearts open to the sort of God God is. Ready for a humble God coming in on a donkey. Ready to take up a crown of thorns. To be mocked if necessary. To die on our behalves and why? Because he loves us desperately. He wants us to be his sons and daughters. When that kind of God comes to you, what is your response? What will you say? Found this other quote that I rather liked, and it's it's sort of a poem. And it goes like this. We want the war horse, and Jesus rides the donkey. We want the bird of prey, and the Holy Spirit sends a dove. We want the militia, and Jesus calls fishermen, tax collectors, women, and children. We want the courtroom, but Jesus sets a table. We want the gavel, Jesus washes feet. We want to take up swords, Jesus takes up a cross. We want the empire, but Jesus brings the kingdom of God. We want the nation, Jesus calls the church. We want the roaring lion, but God comes as a slaughtered lamb. We keep trying to arm God. God keeps trying to disarm us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have revealed yourself through your Son on this Holy Week 2,000 years ago. On Palm Sunday, you showed us you were the King. On Good Friday, you showed us you were the King. And on Easter Sunday, you will show us that you are the King. You are the king who has defeated sin and death forever. Praise be to God for that. But Lord, you have shown us how. You have shown us it is not through might. It is not through an abuse of power. But it is through serving. It is through loving. It is through submitting to you. Lord, may we come this morning doing so. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this morning we come and um, it's quite a unique day. There's a lot happening. I will say this. 
of all the Sundays I've prepared in my time here at South Run, I don't know that more things have swirled around one Sunday than this one right here. Whether it was yesterday's Easter egg hunt, which was amazing, uh, this morning, Palm Sunday, and if that wasn't enough, we're, we're, we're changing how we do communion this Sunday. Um, for many of you, this is, this is going to be um, a bit different. I recognize that. My hope, though, is that we will all find this to be a way in which uh, we can uh, connect to the body of Christ himself more intimately and to one another uh, more communally. Um, I, <laughs> I have prepared notes here for this, uh, so forgive me. Um, I, I don't plan to to make uh, a lot of this every single time we do it, but given that this is uh, the first time we're doing a communion like this, uh, I think doing so in an orderly fashion is pretty important. And so in a few moments, we're going to take communion that will uh, look uh, slightly different than how we used to do it. So as you feel ready, uh, I will invite you to uh, get up and out of your seat uh, and come down the center aisle to receive the elements up front here uh, at the table. And we will make three stations. One will be right here in the middle, and then we'll have one on the right side, and then one on the left side. As you come forward to receive the elements, uh, if there is an opening on uh, the left or the right, uh, just go ahead and file through. The goal is to you know, keep the lines uh, moving uh, so that we all come back to our seats uh, in a timely manner. Um, when you come forward, uh, each station will have two members uh, of the church, one with the bread and one with uh, the cup. And when you get to the front of the sanctuary, uh, you will put your hand out in front of the person with the bread, and they will look at you, and they will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And they will pull off a piece of that bread and put it into your hands. And then the person holding the tray of cups will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And take the cup, and they will give that, or actually, you will take, sorry, you will take the cup from the tray that is right there. At that point, you will have your elements and you will return to your seats via the outside uh, and go back to where you came from in the pews. <clears throat> um, as you sit in the pew, uh, you will still have the elements in your hand. Uh, we will take them and we will eat and drink together uh, at the same exact time. And as you sit there, I... I I've been meaning to say this for months, actually, that this is an opportunity um, to contemplate, to prepare your hearts, uh, to offer yourself once again uh, to Christ, to give yourself over one more time uh, to the kingdom of God. And so as you sit there today with the elements in your hand, um, perhaps it's forgiveness you seek. It's a preparing of your heart. You might take the communion elements, uh, as Paul says, in a worthy manner, right? Um, my hope and my expectation 
uh, for this moment in our church that we, we do this on a monthly basis. If you don't know, we do this uh, usually the second Sunday of every month. This happens to be the first Sunday. Uh, we weren't going to do it next uh, Sunday because it's Easter. Uh, we wanted to uh, keep Easter as uh, the Resurrection Sunday. But going forward, every second Sunday of the month, uh, we will continue taking uh, the Lord's Supper in this manner. And my hope and my expectation is this will be both uh, more personal to you, the individual, as you receive this, and and it's going to also bind us together corporately. There is something about receiving communion uh, face-to-face, if you've never done this before, where somebody looks at you in the face and says, this is the body of Christ, and Christ has been broken for you, and his blood has been shed for you, and to receive that from another individual. There's power in that. Families, um, I encourage you to come together to the table. Uh, Even if your child maybe has not been baptized yet, I I would encourage you to come forward. Um, And if your child is is not ready to take the elements because uh, they have not been baptized, Uh, They certainly can participate just by being present with you. My family and I used to do something like this uh, at a church in Texas, and they would always come with us, and uh, it was a special part uh, of uh, the month when we would celebrate communion together that way. Uh, Myself, I will be over uh, in the the left corner over there. Uh, Jim Hempstead has said that he will join me, uh, one of our deacons. Uh, And if you're seeking prayer, or maybe your child uh, wants a blessing of some kind, I am happy to do that with you if you find us uh, again over in that left corner over there. There's probably going to be um, a need for some grace in the, the, today. I, we've not done this before. There's probably going to be some hiccups. There's, there's going to be uh, maybe some people tripping, hopefully not literally, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, as we do so, I, I would just encourage us to have an open mind and an open heart uh, uh, as uh, we begin a new journey together, uh, taking communion in this fashion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with those same disciples who didn't quite get it yet, but he loved them dearly. And even though they didn't quite know what was coming, he set forth a covenant. And at that time, he had bread, and he broke it, and he said to them, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup, the same kind of cup you'll take in your hand. And he looked them in the eyes and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant and it is my blood and I am pouring it out for many for the forgiveness 
of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray. While I'm praying, if the band will come forward, uh, we'll begin our service. Father, Son, Spirit, prepare our hearts in this moment to receive the bread and the cup. Lord, through it, you made your covenant, your new covenant with us. And the taking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we are reminded of the covenant within which we sit. Lord, it is one that costs you your life, but it is one that gives us life eternal. God, my prayer is that in this moment, Lord, you teach us how to love you more. That you renew in our hearts a love for you. God, we ask your blessing over the bread and over the cup that we are about to participate in. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.
Friends, it is good to be together. Um, as we sit here, um, I'm reminded uh, of the power of this moment uh, that I certainly needed to receive from you um, this gift. Participating like this together, it certainly unites me to Christ in the moment, but it unites me to you all as well. Um, and so as we participate together, let us eat. This is the body of Christ that is broken for us. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let us pray together. <clears throat> God, we come this morning with praise and thanksgiving that you are the King that on the cross, Lord, <clears throat> you bore our sin and our shame. And on Easter Sunday, you defeat death forever. And you reign on high, not just the king of a kingdom, but the king of the universe, the Lord of all, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, you may not have been the king that anyone expected, and you may not have been the king that people were even wanting, but God, you are the king that we all desperately need in this life. Thank you. Thank you for taking that upon yourself and for bringing us into your kingdom. God, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.